Good morning. I have to tell you a little bit about my eschatology. Um, And if you don't know what eschatology is, it's the study of the end times. And uh, the study of the end times is that um, my position is uh, I'm pre-trib, which means I believe the rapture happened before the tribulation. Although I started second guessing that this morning when I was driving to church. I don't know if you guys had this sense, but when I was out driving to church, there was nobody out. And now I think everybody that's out might be just be in this room. So thanks for being here this morning. I need to tell you a little bit of a little story about Pastor Lucas. I met Pastor Lucas's pastor at the EFCA One conference uh, this past week, the, the pastor who hired Pastor Lucas. And Lori and I were standing there, we said, just tell us a story about Pastor Lucas. And he said, oh, I, this one story that I can remember is, um, it had to do with shark fishing. Do you remember this? That he was on a boat shark fishing. And that's all that was going through my mind when he was talking about taking the senior hires tubing. <laughs> I think they'll be safe, I really do. Happy 4th of July. On Tuesday, uh, we celebrate our freedom uh, as, a, as a country. And I wanna say thank you to all the men and the women and who have made that possible for us. Would you agree? Because of our freedom, we can live free, we can worship free, and we can gather for worship in this place. But there's a greater freedom. And the scripture says, it is for freedom's sake that I have set you free through Jesus Christ. Let's thank God for that. So we're in this series, True or False? And uh, we're kind of asking some hard questions. And uh, this morning, uh, the statement is this, the church is filled with hypocrites. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Yeah, true or false, yeah. We're gonna end in Ephesians 2, 1, and, uh, 1 through 10 here in just a minute. So if you have a Bible, would you turn there? We've got some Bibles coming down the aisles. Um, uh, some ushers coming down the aisles. I'd love to get one in your hands. Slip a hand up if you need one to borrow this morning. I wanna begin with, uh, with this thought, what they see. And uh, I'll mention Mark 7, 6 here in just a second. One of the most common complaints made about the church today from a watching world is the church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. In fact, it is near the top of the list when you ask somebody who doesn't go to church, why don't you go to church? One of the top things they will always say is because the church is filled with hypocrites. The dictionary definition of hypocrisy is a person who claims or pretends to have certain beliefs about what is right, but who behaves in a way that disagrees with those beliefs. It is a pretense of having a virtuous character, moral or religious belief or principle that one does not really possess. So while Webster's definition is somewhat helpful, I am more interested in what the Bible has to say about hypocrisy, and it's this idea, it's, it's an act of playing a part on a stage or a pretender. 
What I say this morning about hypocrisy might be a surprise to you, or it might be a new definition or a new understanding of what it means. And, and so it helps us to understand what people are saying when they say that the church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. So before we too quickly define a hypocrite as one who says one thing and does another, let's ask the question. Is the accusation the world is leveling against the church today, is it accurate? Are churches in fact filled with a bunch of hypocrites? Yes. Church buildings are filled with hypocrites, but there are no hypocrites in the church. Church buildings are filled with hypocrites, but there are no hypocrites in the church. What in the world does that mean? Let me just begin by saying this. The phrase Christian hypocrite is an oxymoron. There is no such thing. For hypocrisy to exist, this is what you have to understand. The behavior of a person must be contrary to what they claim to believe. The key word is claim. In other words, the lifestyle and the behavior of a person is measured against a false pretense or pretender or a stage actor. Think of it like this, behavior held up next to a false identity and claim. So the watching world looks at people who are church goers and then they see them living a life completely different than the Christian life they see them associating themselves with. So for hypocrisy to exist, the original source has to be false. The person must be stage acting, pretending to be a Christian. The person is not authentic, but say they are, and then they go out and live in such a way that brings dishonor to Christ. So a hypocrite, in the truest sense, is a person who wants to claim Christianity, yet not give their life to Christ, so they can continue to live their own way. It is one who is a pretender, it's one who is a phony. It's much easier to pretend to be a Christian and live the way you want. I mean, why not? There are all kinds of great causes that we can associate ourselves with. Why not Christianity? On Facebook, it is not uncommon to get invited to, to put your name or to become a part of or to join a cause. And while all the causes seem good, like, like something you might want to be associated with, they have little to no bearing on a person's lifestyle. I can join a cause on Facebook and want my name associated with the cause and yet have no idea what's required of me or what it's even about. It just sounds good. People fake their own deaths, hoping to just disappear and start a new life. People fake identity online. People fake marital status, employment, family connections, identity. They fake a name, a worth, a whereabouts. They fake, they fake how big of a, a fish they caught. Probably most of us in this room have faked something, a stage actor. It's the idea of presenting a false front. What people see is not telling the whole story. If I said to you, I own a 2023 Lamborghini and it's the best car in the world. And then I run into you tomorrow and I'm driving a beat up Honda Civic. I'm only a hypocrite if what I told you is untrue. 
a lie. If I don't own a Lamborghini and I never take it out of the garage and only drive my beat up Honda Civic, I'm not a hypocrite. I might be crazy, but I'm not a hypocrite because what I told you is true. So the definition of hypocrisy or hypocrite hinges on whether the source is true or false. So again, a person can only be a hypocrite when their behavior is inconsistent with what they claim to be right about them. That's what's happening today and why we're seeing and hearing and watching world accuse the church to be just a bunch of hypocrites because they are assuming that everyone who says they are a Christian is in fact a Christian. The world is assuming that everyone who attends church, who attends a church service on a Sunday morning or, or a Wednesday night is a Christian. I mean, why else would anybody ever want to go to church? Surely no one who attends church would just be there to associate themselves with Christianity or to fake their commitment or pretend to be serious about their faith. I'm afraid that in church buildings all across America, in fact, all around the world, there are many hypocrites. Those who associate themselves with Christianity and choose to make up their own rules and live a life that misrepresents Christ and what he expects of the Christian life. What I'm not talking about are Christians who struggle with sin but who want to live a Christian life according to God's word. I'm referring to people who say with their mouths, I am a Christian, and then turn around and live a life that goes against Christ's teachings. So a religious hypocrite, by definition, is a non-believer, since he is only pretending to be a Christian. A hypocrite is not a person who commits some sins on occasion, all people commit sin occasionally, but are still believers. So Jesus oftentimes talks about hypocrisy and every time he uses the word, he was always describing those who were only pretending to be a follower of his. And we see that in Mark chapter seven, verse six, this is what he said. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people, Honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And so we hear often the scream of the watching world, hypocrite. I believe it is simply for the fact that they don't want to believe Christianity because it goes against the way that they desire to live and so they'll find any way possible to reject it. Here's what we've learned so far. A hypocrite is a phony or a stage actor. A true born again believer cannot be a hypocrite. Believer struggles with sin causing an inconsistency between who they are and how they live. That's the difference. When you sin, when I sin, it doesn't make me a hypocrite if my faith is authentic and your faith is authentic. It just means that we're sinning and there's an inconsistency between what is true and the way that we're living. So who are we? Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. 
As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, this is the good news, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Friends, if you've never heard the gospel or responded to the gospel message, listen to these next few verses. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, I have been pretending. I have been faking it. Listen to verse eight, nine, and 10. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It is because of God's grace through his son, Jesus Christ, given us what we don't deserve, and through the faith that he gives us to believe in him that we are saved. That's authentic. In any given church, there, there are no doubt hypocrites. There are people who don't uh, pretend to be Christian at all, and they're separated from God. They're not even faking it. They would outright deny it. There are also people who think that they are saved, but they're basing their salvation on things outside of what scripture makes clear. Maybe, maybe just, I'm just trying to be a good person, and so yes, I'm saved. Or there are also believers who are pursuing Christ and who are at the same time struggling with their sinful nature, many, many of us. So what the watching world is confused about and continually gets mixed up are people who they assume are Christians because they go to church, but whose life is unchristian, hypocrites, and people who are Christians and still sin. Those are the two people get mixed up. It's a very important distinction because as a believer, if you're a believer of Christ and it's, and it's true and it's authentic, that's what our culture is saying about you. But the Bible makes it pretty clear. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says this, there is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Romans 3.23 says that, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, even great Christians who try really hard to be godly cannot escape the weakness of their flesh at times. The Bible does not say that as permission to sin, but acknowledgement of the battle. If we could escape sin every time, we could live a sinless life. And there is only one man who lived a sinless life. Let me see your faces for just a second. I don't see him here. 
His name is Jesus. A believer who sins is not a hypocrite because they're in fact not pretending to be something they are not. They are saved, they just struggle with sin like every other believer. Do you remember what Paul wrote? I do not understand what I do, he said. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. He's expressing that battle that every one of us face. When people see our sin with their own two eyes, all they know to do is categorize us. At my last church, there, there was uh, this man in our church who was becoming an elder and he had just come on the elder board and, and oftentimes, um, when elder, I think this is humility and I really appreciate this, but when, when people come onto the elder board, they'll express, I don't know if I'm qualified to be an elder. I just don't, I don't, I just, you know, I don't feel like I'm a perfect person or I don't feel like, a, that's great. But they acknowledge that God's still working in them, right? Well, this man comes on the elder board. He had just become an elder and he takes his family on vacation and it wasn't going well. You ever had one of those? And something about the van was broke and then they were trying to get out of the hotel and shove stuff into the back of the van. It wasn't fitting and it, he, he had just had it and he was kind of boiling up to the top. And he said something, I don't know what he said, and he slammed the door and his little girl said, Dad, I thought you were an elder. <laughs> he said, I, I am, honey. <laughs> that can be every one of us. Praise God, there was a message a couple months ago um, that we're not, we're not defined by our weakest moments. Christians are like everyone else, they're imperfect. And we will fail to always act appropriately. It is because Christians make mistakes and fail to live as Jesus desires that others can level this unfair and this inaccurate charge of hypocrisy towards us. It'd be great and awesome if all Christians perfectly mirrored Jesus. But ultimately Christianity has to be evaluated on the, on the base of its founder, not its followers. And a close examination of Jesus' life will show that he opposed all hypocrisy and did himself practice this, this perfectly, what he, what he preached and what he said and how he lived. And unlike so many leaders and thinkers of his day, Jesus had no credibility gap between the message he taught and the life he led. Back in verse one and two of that Ephesians passage, all of us at one time or another were dead as dead can be, spiritually that is, spiritually dead. And while we were alive physically before Christ, spiritually we were dead, lifeless, without hope, a spiritual corpse with no life, destined to an eternity apart from God. We were separated from God. Orphans who needed to be adopted, lost people who needed to be found. Do you remember those days? Before Christ? 
It's what the passage is, is pointing out. That was all of us. There are two words and phrases that are extremely important in these first couple of verses. We were and used to be. You were dead as to describe your condition and your position before you surrendered your life to Christ. In verse three, let no one, it's this idea, let no one puff up their chest or point a finger at anyone because we all lived among them at one time. At one time before Christ, we all lived to, to gratify our sinful nature. Remember the days before you knew Christ and you lived to satisfy the flesh. That's all that really mattered to you. The cravings were so strong for pleasure and satisfaction, you would do almost anything to make it go away. And Paul's saying, hey, don't, don't forget about that. Verse six, as believers, we're taught, according to verse six, that we have been raised with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realms. Sounds a little strange. A Christian, once they understand their position, will lose more and more of their desire for the pleasure of sin, realizing that it is Christ alone that satisfies. And I hope that you are experiencing that in your journey with Christ, little by little. There is nothing that this world can offer us that comes close to the satisfaction and the fulfillment we receive in Jesus. Physically, we are here. You can pinch yourself, you can hit your neighbor and say, yes, we are here. But spiritually right now, if you're a believer in this room because you're indwelled with the Holy Spirit, spiritually you are seated in the heavenlies, the scripture says, with Christ. It is a position that one that gives us access to the blessings that Christ offers us. Because of our position in Christ, we are rich. So the Holy Spirit that indwells a believer lives in both places at one time. The Holy Spirit that indwells you right now as a believer is inside of you and is also seated uh, at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And so the Holy Spirit lives both places at one time. That's why we get this, this sense of this, this sampling of the kingdom. That, that's why we have this, this homesickness that keeps drawing us. It reminds me of Costco on Fridays. That it's sample day, right? That's the idea, that's, that's this, this feeling that we get with the Holy Spirit. It's like we get this sampling of what eternity's gonna be like, of what the kingdom's gonna be like because of the Holy Spirit in us. To be raised up with Christ means to arouse from death in company with, or, or to take in, so it means to be, to be shaken, to be awakened. We've passed from death to life. The old is gone, the new has come. Salvation is much more than a ticket stub for the pearly gates. It allows us to, to come to spiritual life while we're here on this earth. Salvation awakens in us a, a longing for God and the things of God. Both in you right now and in the heavenlies. The spirit you received at salvation is in company with Jesus right now, which means you cannot possibly be the same as you were before. A believer goes from living a life apart from God to having the very spirit of God come alive and live inside of them, placing them in the company with God. Right now, as you sit here, if you're a believer and you have the Holy Spirit in you, you are in company with God. That's amazing. 
The thought of me being placed in the presence of God because of my new position says to me, I am so incredibly blessed. And the interaction and the fellowship I have with Jesus in his presence is only that taste. If you are a believer, that is who you are. It's important that you know who you are in Christ, friends. Everything you, we are looking for and longing for is found in your spiritual life that has been aroused or awakened from sleep. Thirdly, how do we change their minds? So far we've looked at what the world thinks when they look at the church of today and we've also looked at God's word and that teaches us of who we really are. Not who the world thinks we are. In order to bring clarity to a watching world, there's three things that I wanna point out. The first is this, to be sure. Second Corinthians 13, five and six. This is a powerful scripture. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless of course you fail the test? And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Throughout the letter, Paul subjected himself, as he's writing to the, the church of Corinth, he subjected himself in his ministry to scrutiny. Now he handed the, the lens or the mirror, so to speak, over to the Corinthians with the challenge that they consider their own conduct. He's saying, here's the mirror. Why don't you take a look for yourself now? They were instructed to do something that wasn't the easiest thing for them to do, to examine themselves. For what? To see whether they're even Christians. They were to look closely and see if their lives were in fact demonstrated that they were in the faith and that Christ was in them. To stand the test was to do what was right. To fail the test was to do what was disobedient. And so Paul says, examine yourselves. Hit the pause button. Just examine your life. It isn't a good or bad scale. That's not what he's asking us to do. He's saying, hey, just stop and check. Are you a believer in Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus based on what scripture teaches? Not what you think. That's what he's saying. Let's not give the unbelieving world, outsiders of the faith, any more reason or excuses as to why they want nothing to do with Christ. Let's think before we act. Let's think before we speak. We are Christ's ambassadors, his representatives here on this earth. Let's live lives in such a way that those who are on the outside desire to know Christ. A person, you've heard this many times, but it's so convicting. A person will forget 90% of the things that come out of your mouth. But they will never forget how you live. Secondly, be imitators. In Ephesians 5, 
It's this idea of follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, to walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We're instructed as God's children to imitate our father. The word imitate means, uh, of course, to mimic. Have you ever seen a child mimic his or her father or mother? They mimic the good and they mimic the bad, don't they? They sit in the front seat of a car and pretend to drive when it's in the driveway. They walk behind us pretending to mow or, uh, or to, to bake a cake. They say words that we say. They mimic the attitudes that we have. It is as though they need to watch us and do as we do in order to know how to live. Huh. It's an interesting concept. Watch and do as we see done that they may know how to live. What the watching world needs is to see not a bunch of people who claim Christianity or associate themselves with a cause. What they need to see are believers who are making a great effort to mimic Jesus Christ. Not in the sense of trying to be perfect, but rather authentic and real. Striving to know and follow his word. We need to study the life of Christ and then mimic him. Here's my prayer. That the watching world, those who are throwing stones at at the church, who are misunderstanding the word hypocrites, the watching world, they would find us faithful. Would they find you faithful? Would they find me faithful? That we would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and that we would walk by faith. Let me leave you with one thing. It's 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10. That's what it says. Would you stand uh, as I read this and then uh, we'll go into some more worship here. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay, jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. See if you can relate to these next couple of verses. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Amen? Amen. Amen.